Thank you, Jesus. Before we get into today's message, I want to make a declaration of faith. I believe, based on Scripture, in the spiritual and supernatural power of God to overcome any and all natural problems and obstacles, including our fallen nature and its resulting sins. I believe that God is good, a God of abundant provision who heals and does miracles. I believe in Luke 18, 27, the things impossible with men are possible with God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We make a choice today to hide it in our hearts that we may not sin against you. We choose today, Lord, to look to your word as the producer of our faith. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that your word has power. You sent your word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. We thank you, Lord, that through Jeremiah you revealed in Jeremiah 1.12 that you watch over your word to perform it. And you told Mary so many years ago that no word of God is void of power. So today, Lord, we look to that word and open our hearts to hear it and receive it. Teach us from the word and help us to understand that which you have provided for us on the spiritual table today. As we partake of it, we thank you, Lord, that it will produce in us not only faith, but it will produce in us a zeal and a desire and a will to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. Laws work for everybody, everywhere, all the time. If they are true laws like natural laws, the law of gravity, and so on and so forth. But do you know it's true also in the spiritual dimension? Spiritual laws work for everybody. Spiritual laws work everywhere. And spiritual laws work all the time. We've been in the series for a number of weeks on various spiritual laws. We talked about the law of love, the royal law. We talked about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We talked about the law of faith, Romans 3.12. And now we're talking about the fourth one and the final one in this series, the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. It's how the entire kingdom of God functions. Even the entire universe, for that matter, operates according to the law of sowing and reaping. I can't think of a better verse in all the Bible to sum this up than Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, a verse that's very familiar to many of us. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Don't be deceived to think it works any other way. God will never be mocked, so you'll never evade or circumvent this law. Whatsoever, good, bad, or indifferent, whatsoever you sow, 
you will also reap. We know that seed is so important that it's one of the first things that God told Adam about when he formed him and made him and gave him life. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 29, there are two things that God told Adam about when he awakened from this uh, state where he was, just a lifeless lump of clay formed by God. But then when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, Adam became a living soul. God immediately began to tell him about his position and his potential. His position was one of authority, Genesis 1.29. His potential was found in that which God had already created, that which God called seed. In giving man the authority, not only to rule and reign governmentally on the earth, but authority to actually use, to plant seed, he was giving to man the ability to choose what kind of a future he was going to have. Now I know that there are many wonderful people that just believe that our futures are somehow uh, decided by destiny. We don't know what it may be. And just, you know, some people will put a religious spin on it that just whatever the Lord, you know, decides that's the way it's going to be. And they just kind of go, go through life. Uh, I, I liken it to some of you are old enough to remember the old time pinball machines. Remember that? You put the money in and you'd have those uh, pinballs and you'd, you know, you'd send one off and it would bounce around and when it would get close to those little things, it would, uh, you know, I guess give it an electric shock or whatever or it moved some way. It'd send it all these different ways. And I think some people think their lives are like that. They're like a pinball. And depending on what they run into, what they bump into, that's what life's going to be for them. And, uh, you know, you just never know. But eventually, you're going to end up down there, you know, <laughs> between the two little paddles, you're going to end up gone. Well, I want to tell you that life is much better than that. You're not living your life as a believer, at least let's say it this way, you are not supposed to be living your life as a believer, just bouncing around from circumstance to circumstance, from thing to thing, whatever is going on in the world. We are not called to live according to the world, and we certainly aren't called to live after the plans of the devil. And a lot of times people think the devil's plans only consist of some kind of uncleanness, some kind of gross sin or rebellion. And of course, the devil is the author of that, as, uh, of course. But also you do understand that the devil comes only for one reason, really a threefold one reason, maybe we could say it. And it's revealed to us by Jesus himself in John chapter 10 and verse 10 when he said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. So anything that steals from you, anything that would bring death to you, and anything that would bring destruction into your life cannot be from God. One of my confessions I just made in my confession of faith today before preaching was that I believe God is a good God. I have proven Him. I have walked with Him. Now for over 55 years, I know God is a good God. I am a living testimony to the goodness of God. And I can tell you that if you will learn to cooperate with God, you will, you will learn the revelation of His goodness, and it never ends. You never find the end of it. 
And one of the major ways that God brings His goodness, His good things, His good and perfect gifts that are from above, James 1.17, one of the ways that He brings that into your life and mine is through the process of seed time and harvest. Amen. So we have the ability to choose, to a great degree, our future. Now, we can't control everybody else's movements. We can't control everybody else's will. We don't control everything that everybody does. I know that governments do things. <coughs> Economies fluctuate up and down. There's all kinds of things going on in the world. But I live not according to the laws of this world. But my citizenship is in heaven. I'm a dual citizen. I'm a citizen of the United States, of course. But first and foremost, I'm a citizen of heaven. Hallelujah. God is my Father. And I am a member, a part of the body of Christ. I have the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. And that greater one in me is greater than he that is in the world. So there is no device and there is no scheme of the devil that can ever overcome my life if I will trust God and I'll walk in obedience to his word and in obedience to his will personally for my life. And one of the great things he's given me is the ability to sow seeds. Now the Bible gives us, and we covered this last week so we won't take long with it, but the Bible gives us at least three kinds of seeds. You probably can find some more. But these three we wanted to focus on. Number one, words are seeds. Jesus taught us that, you know, in Mark chapter 4, for instance. God's word is a seed. And then also, deeds are seeds. That should be an easy one to remember. Deeds are seeds. Ephesians 6, 8, whatsoever, thing, whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So it doesn't make any difference your condition or circumstance or place you are in life if you will choose to sow deeds as seeds, God guarantees your harvest. I think that's so wonderful, Ephesians 6, 6 8, whatsoever good thing any man doeth. So good deeds are guaranteed by God to come back to you. God will make it happen for you. Whatever good thing you make happen for other people, God will make happen for you. That's not just a motivational slang term or phrase. That is biblical truth, Ephesians 6, 8. And then the third thing we looked at, and we're going to talk a little bit more about today, and please uh, be assured, we're not going to take from now to Thanksgiving or from now to Christmas to talk about this, but occasionally as a pastor, you have to be bold enough and you have to be honest enough, and you have to love your people enough that you tell them the truth. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, today about money seeds, wealth seeds, material seeds, because all these things are biblical seeds. Amen. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you'll see that uh, the word there talks about money as a seed. Now we want to say a few things that are uh, repeats from last week, but they're so important they lay a good foundation for us to start today. And when I say start, don't get nervous. I haven't had any breakfast. You won't be here all day. Amen. <laughs> Harvests always follow. Harvests never precede. You'll never find your harvest until first you have been obedient and faithful to sow a seed. 
Harvests always follow. The second thing I want you to remember is that harvests always correspond to the type of seed that you sow. You will never sow cucumber seeds and reap potatoes. You'll never sow seeds of hatred and reap a harvest of love and kindness. Harvests are always uh, uh, corresponding to the type of the seed we sow. And the next one is harvests are always proportional to the amount of seed that we sow. You'll not sow an acre of wheat and reap 150 acres of ripened wheat as a harvest. It'll not happen. Harvests are always proportional. Now, I will say this, and thank God, harvests are exponential in most cases. I wish I'd have brought, I, I should have, I, I wish I would have brought an apple seed with me today because most of you, you, you've seen an apple seed. So you can imagine, pretend there's one there between my fingers, and that'd be about right. About the right distance between my thumb and my finger, an apple seed. Inside that seed, is a tree, a tree that will bear countless thousands of apples if it is tended properly, cared for under the right circumstances, the right kind of climate and so forth and so on. You don't have the ability, I don't have the ability to count how many apples, apples are in that seed. And by the way, we really don't know how many apple trees are in that apple seed. It's amazing. And the divine designer of the universe created seed to be that way. The person who believes that's an evolutionary accident is a fool. I don't care if he's got enough degrees at the end of his name to be a thermometer. He is a fool. Nobody could do that but God. Nobody could do that but the Creator. And oh, I tell you, I just get so excited. I want to shout a little bit because that divine Creator is living on the inside of me right now. He's in you. He's in you. And He's not only in you, but He's with you and He's for you. And if He's for you, who can be against you? If He's for you, what difference does it make who's against you? Hallelujah. So when I look, when I think about seed, I'm looking at my harvest. I'm thinking about exponential harvest. Hallelujah. Seeds are proportional to the amount that, I mean, harvest rather, are proportional to the amount of seed that are sown. And seeds have inside them the instructions and potential for the harvest. One of the last things we talked about last time was that seasons, not conditions, determine when we sow. Seasons, not conditions. And our example uh, was Genesis 26, when Isaac sowed in the land of famine. You can read the story if you didn't read it this week. I would encourage you to read it this coming week. That there was a time of famine in Palestine. And uh, so Isaac thought he would do what his father Abraham before him had done years before. That he would just go down to Egypt and stay there by the Nile and uh, not starve and not lose all of his assets, you know, his, uh, everything he had, that he would just stay there, and which was customary to do for people that had means to do it. 
uh, in times of famine, and that he would just go down there and wait it out, and when the famine was over, he'd come back to Canaan. But God said, don't do that. Stay in this land. Well, you can just imagine the, the mental uh, back and forth that had to go on in Isaac's mind. Just, I mean, he, he, he was a person just like you're a person. And you're, you would be thinking, well, Lord, I mean, you know, you know better than to ask because you know the answer, but don't you know it's a famine? Don't you know that nobody's planting anything here? Don't you know I need a harvest to, to supply my family, to supply all the people with me, all, the, all of the cattle that I have, all, all of the, all these vast resources? Do you really want me to just stay here where there's no chance of harvest in the natural, where it's not raining, where it's a time of famine? And you know, we, we understand, we can ma- imagine in our thoughts what Isaac would have been going through. But I just want you to stop for a minute, put a, put, a, put a bookmarker in that for just a moment, and let me ask you this. Are you in a time of famine? Maybe you are. Are you in a place where you don't know what you're going to do? Are you in a situation that it seems like it's not working? And there's more need than there seems to be supply. There's more month than money. There's more uh, problem than there is provision, it seems. And when you go to God, it's like, you know, he doesn't tell you anything that's just totally brand new. He tells you the same thing maybe he's told you before, and he tells you the same thing he's told countless other of his children. Be faithful to do the word, which includes be faithful to sow, even in your time of famine. Now, when preachers preach this, when pastors teach this, they open themselves wide open to criticism that they're charlatans, they're just after your money, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a trick, it's a gimmick, it's just something to wring something out of people. But I want you to think for a minute. Uh, the testimonies that we've already given you today and we've given you in prior weeks, how that this year we will have given more away than we've ever given in any calendar year of the history of this church in the 33 years that I've been here. I shared with you last week how that in November of 1990, we closed the month out with 17 cents. Not $17, not not $1,700, not $17,000, but 17 cents. And this year we will give away between $275,000 and $300,000 just giving, sowing into the kingdom of God. Now that's not a lot of money for some ministries, but when you know where we come from, that's worth bragging on Jesus a little bit about. Amen? That's worth saying, thank you, Lord. Now, here's my point. If it was all a gimmick, then where did that come from? Because if I was, a, if I was after everything I could get, then why didn't I take that? I'm sure Glenda could find a use for $275,000. I'm sure. She would, you wouldn't even have to pray for her. She could find some uses for that. But you see, that's not what this is about. We're blessed. We're abundantly supplied. I don't, I'm not complaining about anything. You can tell we're not starving, but none of us are. We're blessed people. Because you see, that wasn't just me. That wasn't just one or two of us. That was all of us. That's what we're doing. So you see, we have proven this principle. So I'll let the naysayers say their nays. I'll let the haters hate. And the taters tate, whatever. I, I just let them. 
You know, there used to be a fiddle player by that name. He was a good fiddler too, Tater Tate. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just, I relapse from time to time into the hillbilly mode. But, but I want you to understand that these principles work because they are God-ordained principles. So what did Isaac do? Let's pull our bookmark out. Let's get back to the message. What did Isaac do? He sowed in the land of famine. And the Bible says he reaped a hundredfold in the same year, the year of famine. So I'm making an assumption. The Bible doesn't actually say this, but I think we could all probably agree this is a very safe assumption to make, that he was the only person in town that had a harvest. And, and what further uh, solidifies that viewpoint is the fact that when you read on in Genesis Chapter 26, it says the Philistines envied him. So you know that you're doing good when the world envies you. You see, I don't want the world's pity. I don't want their sympathy. I don't need it. And back when we had 17 cents in the bank, I wasn't, I wasn't poor-mouthing and looking for the sympathy of the world. I knew that if there was going to be any turnaround, I knew that if there was going to be any help, it would come through the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And He has proven Himself faithful time and time and time again. Hallelujah. So I'm going to just give you a few little nuggets here and there about sowing in this realm. And I just want you to pray about it and think about it. And uh, you're going to do what you're going to do. I mean, I love you, but, you know, you're going to do whatever you're going to do, of course. And we all are. But I just want to tell you, as the old guy in the room here today, you do well to consider these truths because they will change your life if you act on them. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 32. Isaiah, chapter 32. And we're going to look at a verse... The eighth verse, I've got, to, I've got to find it myself here. And I should have had it marked, but I had other things marked. So, bear with me. Isaiah chapter 32. I really like this verse. It's quite interesting. Isaiah 32 and verse 8. It says... But the liberal, now, lest you think we're getting political, <laughs> that's not what this is referring to. It's not referring to a political viewpoint. Actually, if you look the word up, you'll find one of the major definitions is the word generous. Liberality in the Bible means generosity. So we're going to use that word to help us better see the point being made. But the generous deviseth, that means plans for, makes plans. The, the generous plans generous things. And by generous things shall he stand. Just let that soak in. The general plans, 
I'm sorry, the generous, rather, plans generous things, and by generous things shall he stand. Now we see that there is a connection made in this verse between generosity and the ability to stand. And obviously the word, the, the idea of standing has to do with opposition coming. I mean, it's not a big deal to stand up unless you have some kind of opposition. Something's keeping you from standing. So it's really important for us to understand this. And so the key word is generous, generosity. And of course, that has to do with sowing. And we're going to see more about that in a moment. But now I want you to turn over in your Bible, turn back really in your Bible, to the book of Proverbs chapter number 11. Proverbs chapter 11. And I want to look at verses 24 and 25. It says, There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. Now you can picture sowing seed. If you've ever sown seed that you broadcast, as we say, the word broadcast in that uh, uh, setting means that you're throwing it out. Not throwing it as in throwing away, but you're broadcasting it out. Like Think about grass seed. If you ever have sown any grass seed in your yard or somewhere, you, you throw it out. You don't want to put it in a pile. You want to spread the seed out. You want to broadcast it. And so that's what, that is, that's what is being talked about here. There is that that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meet or proper or right or fitting, whatever word you want to use. That's what the word meet there means. But it, that which we're holding on to that we should have sown, in other words, tends to poverty. Now that's, that just goes against everything that people think. Because we think about holding on makes sure and guarantees me that I'm going to have it. This verse says you can hold on inappropriately. It doesn't mean that you can't save anything. Please don't misunderstand me at all. Saving money is biblical. Amen. We make money. We tithe on the money. You need to save some money. Amen. And then you need to invest some money and put it to work. And then you need to give some money. Yes. And that's a whole other message for another day. Actually, that's about five weeks worth of teaching there. But anyway, we won't do that today. But the point is, we think about savings, which is a good thing. But here, this verse is telling us that if you hold on too tightly, if you hold on to things beyond where you should. In other words, let's say it this way. If you're holding on to money God told you to sow, then you're holding on to money that you shouldn't have. And that will end up putting you into a place of poverty or lack. Verse 25 says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. In other words, the, the, the one who's giving gets fatter. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. <clears throat> so this is a picture of generosity. The generous plans to be generous. And by their generosity, they'll stand. If I'm willing to let go of what God tells me to let go of, and I will sow it, it will cause me to increase. And this verse, verse Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, 
is the biblical explanation of the testimony I just gave you a few moments ago of how we have given so much, but yet we have more than we've ever had. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I'm going to tell it anyway because it's truth. And you always have a choice when you hear this kind of a message. You can be offended or you can receive and be a doer and be blessed. I've been in the place where I had no money and even go with hat in hand, you know, to the bank and they wouldn't loan you any money. I've been there with a negative net worth, not owning anything, not owning a house, whatever I was driving, I was paying on. I've been there. I've been there at the 17 cent day in the church treasury. I've been there when we took a church many, many years ago and it had been split and without a pastor for months. And when I began to uh, get involved with the church, I found out that this was in the, uh, this was in the middle 80s. And some of you are old enough to remember the middle 80s. Some of you remember 15% interest, 16%, 17% interest. Don't you wish you'd have bought a 20-year CD when it was 17% interest? <laughs> but so I took a church that was over a half million dollars in debt at 13 point something or other interest. And it had been split. And the auditorium would seat 500. And we just, we didn't have even half that. I have been in all kinds of situations that didn't look good. I've been there in the days of famine. And I'm telling you today, this is your way out. Amen. It's not begging and crying and bawling and squalling. It's not trying to manipulate and in, or intimidate other people into doing something for you. It is about standing on the Word of God and being a doer of the Word and, and believing all the way through into the harvest. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, you preachers know you could, you could stop at any of these places and take the rest of our time. But I'm trying my best to be a good steward of your time and, and uh, get this done the way the Lord wants it to be done at the same time. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll begin with verse number, number 6. But this I say, Paul is speaking to the uh, Corinthian believers, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly. So here's where he makes a connection between giving money and sowing. Now, if you want to check that further, read the entire 8th chapter, read the entire ninth chapter. You would have to be intellectually dishonest not to know and admit that he's talking about giving money, material things. So he says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And, so he's not through. God is able to make all grace. We hear a lot about grace nowadays. Grace is a marvelous and wonderful thing, but there is a grace of giving. There is a grace involved 
in sowing and reaping. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, notice the word always, sounds a lot like what we're talking about, a law. Always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. And notice that nowhere did Paul mention a specific amount. Nowhere did he mention a minimum. He said, every man as he purposeth in his heart. Why is it important to understand uh, that concept? Because all of us are at different places. But if you truly desire to be a sower, and you will purpose in your heart that which you want to do, we have evidence in this very chapter that God will help you get there if you're not there. Because verse 10 goes on to say, Now he that ministereth seed to the what? Sower. Both minister bread for your food. In other words, he'll pay your bills. And multiply your seed sown. Not addition. And certainly not subtraction. But multiplication. See, one of the greatest mental hurdles we have to give, get over in following God's system of sowing and reaping and God's system of increase is we have to get over the idea that my giving is a negative or it is a, it is a uh, subtraction. We have to get past that and we really have to move beyond the place of God just adding because this doesn't talk, in a, talk about addition. This talks about multiplication. So just like I pointed out earlier about the little apple seed we don't even know how many apples are in that seed because we don't even know also how many trees are in that seed if it's all cultivated and seeds are planted and it just goes on and on and on. We, we cannot fathom how, how many there are. Well, so it is, even in our own lives, we have to realize that if we're sowers, then the possibilities are really are limitless in one sense of speaking if we continue to sow. My immediate harvest is proportional to that which I've already sown. But if I take from that harvest and sow again, and I continue to increase my sowing, then I'm going to, at the same time, increase my harvest. Can you say amen? And so if I don't have seed to sow, guess what? I'm not a sower. Because God said if I'm a sower, he'll get me seed. The mistake a lot of people make is they eat their seed. They eat their seed. I don't know about you, but I like good cornbread. But how many of you know you can't have cornbread without corn? And if, uh, and if you want to have corn to grind in the meal to make bread, you can't eat all the corn seed. I mean, unless you just want to eat once. Because if you grind it all up, you've got nothing to plant. And that's your last cornbread. You get the point? Sure you do. You're smart folks. And so when harvests come, we need to make sure that we are uh, open to the Holy Spirit and that we're sensitive. Lord, how much of this is my harvest? How much cornbread can I eat today? And how much do I need to, to plant in the ground for the future? 
So there is this whole pattern of sowing and reaping where finances are concerned. Every man as he purposes in his heart. So I can't tell you what to do. It's not my job. I don't want to. I don't know what you have, so I don't know what you can do. But the Bible just says you need to do it as you purpose in your heart and don't do it grudgingly or of necessity. Now, I've been in meetings where it was, it was a high-pressure deal about giving. By the way, we've already received our offering here today, so you don't have anything to fear. Uh, but I've been in meetings where it's high-pressure. I mean really high-pressure. And it was kind of, you know, the spotlight on people. You know, what are you going to do? And um, I, I don't particularly like those times. And I think one of the reasons I don't like it is because God says that's not how he wants it done. I remember one time being in a meeting, a bunch of preachers were there, and they got into the fundraising part of it, and it got to be really high pressure. And I remember one pastor, I don't remember who he was, I don't remember his name or where he's from, but I do remember this scene in my mind, how that when he got up and gave out this big number that he was giving, his wife sitting beside him fell on the floor crying. I'm not exaggerating. She fell down on her knees by her chair and was weeping. And I didn't sense at all that it was tears of joy. <laughs> My guess is probably she kept the books. <laughs> so I, I, we don't do that. We don't have to do that. That's not, that's not the way it's done. But we do need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What does the Lord want us to do? Because you can sow where you want to go. You can maintain at a, at a level. You may rise a little and then you're down a little, up a little. You know, and you just might keep this even keel. And a lot of people, they like that. But I'm not wired that way. I am not wired that way. I, I, there's no way that I'm through. And the older I get, the more I know I've got to get in a hurry. Because I've got less years in front of me than I have behind me. And so, so we've got to get with the program. I'm not wired that way. I'm not about maintenance. I'm not looking for a rocking chair. I mean, I like rocking chairs, and I've got them. But I don't, that's not my goal in life is to get to the place where I have nothing else to do and nothing else to offer. When that happens, I'm ready to go. And that's not today, praise God. But I want to close with this, this part. Between our sowing and on through to the time of the harvest, what do we do? Because many of you are sowers and you have sown and you're going to continue to sow. How do you optimize what you're doing and how do you come to a place of abundant harvest? Well, let me make this statement before I give you three simple words that you'll understand and won't be hard at all. But I want to give you this principle. What we do spiritually has more to do with our harvest than what we do naturally. What we do spiritually is going to have more to do with our harvest than what we do naturally. We believe in work. We believe in an honest day's work. We believe in being a good steward. We believe in, in um, stewarding wisely. And we believe in saving money. And we believe in investing money. We believe in making good purchases and all the rest, and there are lots of avenues that God can give you to make money and to help you grow and increase financially and help to build a future for your children and grandchildren, your family, and all the rest. You know, that's the kind of another message for another day. 
but we believe in all of that. But I can tell you that basically what you do spiritually, where sowing and reaping is concerned, is going to have more to do with the ultimate and eventual harvest than all the natural things that you may do. Because, you know, God really doesn't care what the interest rate is. He doesn't care what the stock market's doing. He doesn't get up every morning and follow the S&P 500. God doesn't care what the price of gold is. He uses it for asphalt. So you see, uh, God's perspective is completely different. This whole earth, the Bible says, the earth and the fullness thereof, it's the Lord's. And he created it in the beginning for his family, his kids. Aren't you one of his kids? So there's a portion of the wealth of this world that's yours. I know a lot of times church folk don't like to hear you say that. This doesn't sound spiritual, but it's absolutely true. God did not create this world for the devil and his crowd. All the mess that's in places like Las Vegas, San Francisco, New York, Miami, other places. All of the uh, ungodly people doing all the big stuff they do with the money and all the razzmatazz that's there. They're spending your money on ungodly things. They're using it in the wrong way. They're evangelizing a generation for perversion, uncleanness, ungodliness, unthankfulness. It's our job to rest those things, not by violent means and not by dishonest means, but through sowing and reaping and wise stewardship of what God puts into our hands. It's our job to wrest those, that wealth out of the hands of the people that do not, are not supposed to have it and put it into the hands of the just so we can do what needs to be done. We know what to do with it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's not bedded on sevens or whatever put it all on red <laughs> amen so there are three things you do between sowing taking you on through to harvest are you ready for these three things they all start with the P sounds like a really good sermon thing right preachers love those kinds of things but they just happen to start with the letter P so hopefully it will help us remember them, remember them better number one proclaim Number two, praise. And number three, prepare. Between the time you sow and the fulfillment of the receiving of the harvest, we are to proclaim our faith. We are to proclaim the Word of God and the truth of God over our situations. You need to get up every day and begin to say some things. You need to declare some things before God. It's not because he's forgotten. It's not because he doesn't know. It's not because that he's really not quite sure if he wants to do it or not. It's not about God because God is solid. You know what I mean? I mean, it's about God, but you know what I mean. We're not trying to change him, talk him into anything. We're not having to remind him because he's forgetful. But we are declaring, most of all, for me. I need to hear that every day of my life, 
that God gives me the power, the ability, the adaptability, the anointing to get wealth that he may produce his covenant in the earth as it is this day. I need to hear that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I need to be reminded of these things. And I declare before God, I've got seed in the ground. I'm a sower. My wife and I, we sow, we tithe and we sow every single week. There's never a week that goes by that we're not sowing. And our sowing has increased over the years. It will increase in the future. Amen. It's just the truth. Either sowing and reaping is real, it's true, it's a godly thing, or it's not. There is no middle ground. God means it or he doesn't mean it. Well, I've proven it, and I tell you, he means it. <laughs> he means that no matter where you are, if you don't have two nickels to rub together, you can start where you are, God will bring you out. And I want to tell you something about the love of money that everybody wants to always make sure that they point out. The love of money is the root of all evil. And you know that's true. And I have lived in places of poverty. I grew up in Appalachia. I grew up in the coal fields. I grew up where, there, where poverty was everywhere around me. And I can tell you that there are as many people guilty of the love of money that are broke as there are people that are rich all kinds of poor folk love money they talk about it all the time they're always talking about what something costs every time somebody has something nice they want to know what you paid for it or they talk behind your back you must have paid they must have paid so-and-so for that you can you believe that's not a canned ham that's a real ham It's all right to have the soft toilet tissue. <laughs> it's, it's all right to have good water to drink. It's all right to have a cool house when it's 90 degrees outside. And it's all right to be warm in the winter. I know last year, you know, you remember that really cold time we had? And I remember I had the, the biggest electric bill I'd ever had in my life. And I wasn't pleased about it but I sure was happy I was warm and I paid the bill so I'm telling you that you can be ready for anything and everything if you'll learn this process so proclaim some things declare these truths and then praise the Lord or praise God Abraham waxed strong in faith giving glory to God I praise God that we're out of debt as a church. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad we don't owe, man, owe any man anything? There are 53 plus acres of property here and there are no liens on it. The whole building, every bit of the equipment, the supplies, everything is debt free. Well, I want to tell you a little secret. We were praising God for debt freedom when we still had a mortgage. This didn't start when we paid the last uh, payment. This started before. That's how faith operates. Faith shouts while the walls are still standing there. They're not cracked. They're not breaking. They're not shaking. They look as solid as they did the day before, the week before, the month before, the year before. But I am shouting. And I want you to know that the shout of faith, like it did in Jericho, will cause the walls to fall. And you can shout your way to a place of blessing and increase. He's not a God of not enough. He's a God of more than enough. And then I want to close with this. Prepare. If you truly believe a harvest is coming, prepare. 
Do you know what you'll do with the harvest? Are you learning what to do with money? Are you learning what to do? Or do you know someone that you truly trust that will help you grow your seeds? Are you preparing? Maybe you've got a house that's too small. Maybe you've got a situation that's just not ideal. You don't want to stay there. Can I, can I meddle just a moment? Well, I'm going to anyway. didn't need to ask. <laughs> Keep it clean. You may be driving a clunker. You may be driving a beater car. You, 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 it may not be anywhere close to the car of your dreams. But don't let it look like a garbage truck. Instead of a car. When the doors open, there ought not be Coke cans and McDonald papers falling out of it. It ought not smell like a a box of McDonald's french fries inside your car. Your trunk ought to be clean. Oh, glory. That's really meddling. What does your closet look like? You want nice clothes, nice things? Do you hang up what you wear? Used to be this old song. Again, my hillbilly roots coming out. Bill Monroe song, put my little shoes away. <laughs> Do you put your little shoes away? As you could tell, we could go on with this on and on and on. But there's no point. You get the picture. I've had to deal with all these issues. I'm not perfect here. There are times I look around and I, I realize I, I need to get with it here. I need to do better. Prepare. Prepare. What would you like to give? What would you like to do? Prepare for it. I'm not saying write a bad check. And I'm not saying make a pledge or a promise you can't keep. Please don't ever do that. I remember back about 1981 or 2, I remember a guy who had a great job. And he was a single guy. He didn't have any family uh, obligations, and so he made really good money. He had a great job, and so, you know, he didn't have all those expenses like a family man would have. And I remember one time he came to me in the service. I mean, he came to me, I don't know if it was before or after church, but Nick, he came to me like I'm coming up to you right now, and he, you know, he asked me a question, and I, and I was kind of taken aback because he said, uh, how much do you owe on your car? <laughs> well, that's kind of a personal question, you know. But anyway, uh, I told him, and he said, well, I believe the Lord's told me that I need to pay, pay your payments, I need to pay your car off. That was about 40 years ago, <laughs> and I haven't seen a nickel, not a nickel of it. <laughs> Matter of fact, bless his heart, the guy's dead. I mean, I, I'm never going to get that money. I'm never going to get that money. So, so don't, don't do that. I'm not talking about doing crazy things, but I'm saying prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. If somebody dropped $100,000 on you, do you know what to do with it? I mean, would it, you know, there's some people that if somebody, if somebody gave them, you know, $500,000, we wouldn't see them for six months. <laughs> You might get a postcard from Las Vegas. You might get one from Hollywood. You might get one from the Bahamas. But, you know, you... Oh, me. Prepare. Yes, yes. 
prepare. Be ready. You say, well, I just, I don't know. That's never happened to anybody in my family. Well, it's good that you're the first. It's wonderful to be the first. Constant sowing results in constant harvests. Stay open to God's direction. Take advantage of every opportunity he brings. You know, that's one reason we wanted to sow today into our brother's ministry. We realized this was an opportunity. We love Elisha, and he's been a great blessing and help to our church and serving here. And so we, 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 we realized, well, this is a God opportunity. Right. So this is an opportunity to sow. And so thank God, you know, when I, when I handed that envelope to my pastor brother here, our harvest began to get prepared. That's right. Hallelujah. And that's a harvest we're sowing as a church. We're all going to reap together. Take advantage of opportunities he brings. And remember this, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. We sow, and yes, we, we are responsible to reap. But it's God who gives the increase. You and I today are living from the quality of what we sowed in our yesterdays. The quality of your life today is a product of yesterday's sowing. So I just ask you the question, where do you want to go? And are you sowing for it? And remember this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 10, if you want to sow, if you will be a sower, God promises you he'll give you seed. So even if you have nothing today, God will give you seed if you will determine to be a sower. I think about... Uh, we've been in meetings recently where Brother Copeland was. We were there in uh, Louisiana and Mark's uh, first minister's meeting in his new facility in uh, Alexandria. Um, and Brother Copeland came and did the first night. And then we were in the uh, memorial service that he did for Milan Lefevre last month. And, um, you know, just uh, so, I, you know, I, I think about him. And I think about his testimony, how that when he was at ORU as a student, he had no money. And he wanted to be a partner with Oral Roberts back in those days, many years ago. In the 60s, around 1970, something like that. And so all he had was the uh, pencil, little, little, some of you have seen these little, you know, little short pencils that are sharpened, give you to fill out a form with. Well, with the partner forms had that pencil with it. And all he had to give was the pencil. So he filled out the thing. I don't know what he pledged, you know, to give ongoing. But he stuck that pencil. That's all he had. He stuck that pencil in the envelope. And now, last count I had, he's given away over 31 airplanes. It's amazing. Now, you may or may not like Kenneth Copeland. You may or may not agree with all that he says. I don't know that anybody agrees with everything that everybody says. We're all just humans. We don't know it all. But I can tell you this. Sewing works. And even if you know somebody that you think, well, they're not exactly perfect in their doctrine or they're not exactly perfect in all they've done or all they believe, but yet they are sowers, you're going to see that God will bless a sower even over top of our ignorance sometimes and our mistakes. And I missed it so many times I couldn't begin to count. You could ask Glenna, she'll tell you more about it, but, but uh, she, doesn't even, she doesn't even know all about it. I mean, I missed it a lot of times, but I have found that, 
the principle of sowing and reaping yes, is a great equalizer. You start where you are, and it works the same. The exponential harvests come, and you'll look around in the future, and you will, you will be so blessed that you'll just sit around. Sometimes, Glenn, I just sit around and say, it's amazing grace. Amazing grace. This grace of giving and receiving. Amen. Amen. And so, that's what we want for you. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I know that today, in obedience to what I believe is your will for my own life and for this church as a pastor, we've delivered this message, which may not be, and I guess it isn't, the, the standard Sunday morning message for church. But Lord, there were truths that you wanted communicated today. And not only the people here, but the hundreds of people who will see this online, as they do every week, we believe that you're speaking to hearts to change circumstances and situations that no one of us will stay the same. But we will be blessed, we will be increased, and we will be enriched by the goodness of God. And Lord, we're not hoarders. We're not stingy. And we don't serve money. That's why we give it. The thing that people worship in the world and will even kill for in the world is for us but just a tool like a wrench in the hand of a mechanic or a hammer in the hand of a carpenter. It's just a tool. And so we thank you, Lord, for increasing us and helping us next year to be able to declare an even greater level of blessing. And the year after that, and the year after that, if Jesus tarries, it goes on and on. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. You might be here and you say, well, I don't know about all that you've said, but I do know one thing, I need Jesus. If you'll put your hand up, I'll pray with you and God will save you. You might not know how you're going to handle all the details of it. You might not know what's going to happen tomorrow if you give your life to Jesus today. But I can tell you this, tomorrow will be better than it would have been without him. Father, may nobody under the sound of my voice die in their sin and go to hell. But may they turn to you. May they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May they serve you for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One last thing. Wednesday nights we're teaching about healing, divine healing. We've been doing that for a number of Wednesdays. We're going to continue this week. If you're sick or you know somebody who is, if you need prayer, you need ministry in that regard, be here Wednesday night. We're going to focus on that, and our faith will be focused. God will certainly confirm his word with signs following.